So as we get some clarity around chitta, central experience in our lives, covers everything, everything that we experience in real time, subjective experience is chitta, affects chitta. So important to get some readings on that and uh, in this teaching and training senses that chitta can be distinguished separately from jitta sankara and that means the volitional impulses, emotions, energies and moods that it seems so involved with and uh, perceptions that land and orient us in certain ways and feeling which triggers us in certain ways so Vedana, Sanya, Sankara Jitta can be uh, removed from the influences of these or gripped by the aggregates So in this reference, jitta is, could be called awareness or even awaring. It's like a sense, not exactly a, an entity, but a, a, a sensitivity. Noticing. It's, mm. So I have some phrases in the Satipatthana teachings on this topic how does one abide contemplating chitta as chitta understands chitta mind or heart affected by lust as affected by lust or passion unaffected as unaffected affected by hatred or aversion unaffected, affected by delusion or unaffected. So these three summarize fundamental um, triggerings or potentials that rise up as the citta, sense data, thoughts, land, and these particular uh, qualities, these energies start moving in these ways and naturally action will tend to come from that, either action in terms of speech or thought will tend to stem from that and we can recognize fine details of those qualities so then from there, the next section understands contracted jitta as contracted. Sankitena, something narrow, restricted, tight about it. Distracted as distracted, quite the opposite, now broken up, fragmented, scattered. So he's referring to 
not so much to, um, <laughs> you know, these um, volitional patterns, but to the very state, you could say. So the first set deal with what affects it. Second set deal with how it responds when it gets tight, narrow, or scatters. So it gets rigid, fixated, narrow-minded, you could say, or it just gets fragmented, proliferates, gets all broken up. So that's not the effect, that's the um, boundary jitter narrows or the boundary breaks up scattered exalted jitter as exalted unexalted as unexalted mahagatena great a great place a great so it's it's spacious it's great mahagata or it's not great and these refer, this quality is seen as um, dependent on like the Brahma Vihara, the mind is made great, expansive. Mm. It can encompass, can suffuse. This is the property of the great the Mahaga Chitta. It stands in a situation or attitude or it's in a condition where it can it's effusive, magnanimous, generous. Mm. Also associated with samadhi. Whenever this occurs, there's some sense of that the mind is uh, mm. at a particular level, a particular level of engagement. Engagement here is much more with its own properties than with sense data. Engaging with it with its own properties, such as its loving kindness, or its uh, confidence, or its enlightenment factors. Mm. Surpassed mind is surpassed, and unsurpassed mind is unsurpassed. This again refers to a kind of elevation of citta, exalted, unexalted, surpassed, unsurpassed. It's uh, and concentrated as concentrated, unconcentrated as unconcentrated. It has entered samadhi, but it's not entered samadhi. It's not in that unified condition whereby differentiation begins to subside, sense of unity body becomes just a fine energy form and the substance of the mind is quite refined. Liberated mind is liberated and unliberated mind is unliberated. So this is citta vimutti and this refers to um, the citta that is no longer being affected by sense data or by inner disturbances. It's quite serene and steady, or it's not. So, 
with this third level, we're talking first of all, the first is what affects it. The second is how it responds. It's contracted or scattered. Uh, and then there can be a more skillful uh, coming through. So the chitta is great. It's not contracted or distracted. Its boundaries are wide. And then its level is uplifted. It's uh, dwelling in its its own properties, its qualities of uh, joy or ease rather than, we might say, um, discrete phenomena that impinge upon it or well up within it. Then its um, quality of chitta is steady and so subtle even so you refer to slightly different aspects of how chitta can be experienced and it says internally externally arising and or vanishing factors. And here again, it's difficult to understand how one can discern these qualities in other people. So it's, um, one can imagine or guess or perhaps uh, consider, but how discernible these are in others. Uh, I'm slightly puzzled by that. But I might interpret that as internal as the substance of the mind and external as the behavior of it. Where the mind goes out or behaves or doesn't behave, you know, whether it's just completely equanimous to do contact, it's not seeking an outflow into consciousness, or it is. But perhaps we can just contemplate and find our own ways of ha- handling that that matter if it becomes relevant noticing arising passing noticing when they're not there mm. this is important particularly with uh, you know distinct properties like uh, passion when that's passed the fact that it arises and passes is quite a um a fine development, rather than being it, the passions, the aversions, justifying it or getting upset about it, or some sense of disengagement. So that allows these forms, irritation, disappointment, so forth, to move through, and the citta uh, is affected. Note, but then you're noticing that, noticing you're getting stirred, fired up, disappointed, uh, defensive, and then a time when that stops. Ah, and what it's like when it's not there. Any of this isn't there. A sense of like almost an absence of these qualities. And cultivating this, 
because it's um, it's important to recognize the relativity of these effects. As if we get locked into them or overemphasize them, we can feel we are these qualities or these are permanent or this is what I really am or I have all these problems. We want to see there's a time when all that's passed through. Very much affects one's relationship with these um, energies of aversion, passion, even delusion, muddy thinking, wrong views. Oh. So there's definitely a possibility to um, distinguish jitta from what happens to it. And those are very strong terms, you know, lust. As you see, the, the experience is a certain firing up inflammation of the jitta. It fires up. It urges into, you know, television, sport, shopping, it's kind of the things light up, form, yeah. certain meanings inflame it, make it very righteous. An idea flares up, make it very righteous about it. A passion for ideas, a passion for right. Moral righteousness is one of those um, unfortunate near misses, <laughs> or perhaps not that near. But, you know, yeah, you're right, but you're not righteous. <laughs> because when one's righteous, then aversion comes along with it. <laughs> and insensitivity in the mind contracts around its ideas of right and wrong, rather than actually moderating ethical sense contextually, which is harmless, which is loving, which is steady, which is clear, rather than hard line doctrine of some kind or another. So I'm getting passion for for even these qualities. Certainly monastic training you get very passionate about the vinya, the monastic rules, and people get grossed in fine details and get quite fired up around details that are so from multiple points person point of view so small you wonder how people can ever get you know agitated around exactly what time of day the sun rises or the dawn arises or whether a you know, grape has been guppied or not. <laughs> and yet these can be topics of some intensity because <laughs> this wish to be right and partly is passion, partly is fear, fear of getting it wrong. You know, being seen as shameless or stained or impure or sloppy so we get this aversion and aversion has two aspects that we're averse or we imagine other people are averse to us ourselves we live in a world of inferred hostility look out for that one because this can haunt us feeling you better get it right otherwise what if you're nervous Am I doing the right thing? And behind that, doing the right thing, stands the shadow of the blame, the scorn of others. 
it will look down on me if I don't wear this. If I don't wear this particular clothes or do my hair in this particular way, people will, will definitely look down on me. You know, so this kind of background feeling of living in an aversive context. So fear, in this sense, is a form of aversion, inferred, the inferred hostility of others. If I turn up late, I will be, mm, if I, you know, walk into the kitchen without my shoes on, I will be, or if I walk with them on, I will be. When you go from monastery to monastery, you realize in some places it's really important you wear your shoes in the kitchen. Other places, it's really important you don't wear your shoes in the kitchen. For good reasons, you know, they have the reasons for it, but you know, so you always think, Am I doing the right thing? And fear, fear of the, the shame or the ill will of others. Uh, always just checking that out. How much of that is real? How much is paranoid? Mm. Delusion, self-deception, imagining one is one thing, really, it's not the case, you know. People seem to be exhibiting, you know, strong voice, face red, tense body. I'm not getting angry, I'm just being clear. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I'm just making a point. They say this is a very strong well, and I think, okay, well, it's kind of, well, I call that angry. <laughs> you know, I'm not being angry, I'm just laying down a clear line on this point. <laughs> so, the delusion, we can be self-deceptive, deceive ourselves. And I think, sometimes people think they weren't getting angry, because they, they didn't notice it. Delusion. Uh, delusion about one's addictive habits yeah. and defensive about it like uh, it's the you know particular food you've got to have every day or a particular thing you've got to do every day and you get, somebody points out no no just I just feel like it and you don't really honestly acknowledge there's a habit there's an addiction here there's a compulsion here so the worst kind of delusion is when we don't even know, we can't even get a reading on what's happening. Well, if you get a reading of it, okay, after I am fascinated, I'm impassioned, I'm averse, at least you've got something you can get a reference to. But then knowing what's it like when the mind is, is aversive, it's, it's kind of trembly, uh, that energy of aversion, energy of passion and the quality of delusion a kind of muddy sliding uh, you know particularly when we leave the heart and we go up into the head 
we think we know what we're doing, but actually we're, we're masking the quality, the emotional quality of what's actually happening for us with justifications, uh, ideas, reasons, excuses, defenses, and so forth. So notice the blurring when something that just goes, oh, it doesn't really matter. Oh, that's all right. Oh, well. Or, no, I didn't. Why can't you pause and look into that? That is delusion. And mind scatters off into kinds of reasons, and but you realize the scattering off for looking for reasons is a sign of delusion. Should be clear. That's not present. That is present. If you don't know, you look for justification. So when one's doing that, you think, wait a minute, what's happening? Oh, yes, I, I am pretty got a lot of attachment to that, but I just don't want to acknowledge it. Well, acknowledge, because this is not self. This is not personal definition. This is just how the jitta gets affected. Everybody's jitta gets affected in this, these particular ways. That's the compassion of this teaching. It's throughout this whole sutta, you hardly see the word I <laughs> doesn't occur. <laughs> you know, there's a, technically there's a grammatical pronoun he, but that's just there for the sake of the language. It means one or anybody really. So it's pretty anonymous, and yet these qualities of citta, one of the core problems of them is anything like that is taken to be myself, because this is where the personality gets built on these, on this territory. So anything in terms of citta, that's me, that's mine. You're attacking me. Uh, you know, I'm not like that. I'm always like this. I try the best. You know, that's just the quality of distractedness, agitation, isn't it? I know that one. Do you know? How was that? Uh-huh. So then the aim is just to be knowing it. So we, you know, uncover, you know, these properties, these effects, fundamental effects. We reveal them beneath the various, you know, details and of thought an activity. It takes clarity and honesty and uh, also understanding this is not self. And the issue is, if you don't acknowledge it, it becomes yourself. (laughs) Because it stays there and the, the chitta gets embedded in it. So these patterns... And the beauty of it is, if we come to that point, we can recognize our passion for whatever it is, Mozart or bananas. (laughs) So I'm thinking between that and a lot more, I'm sure. Just that's that. Uh huh. No 
no blame, no, just there's that. And how much do you want to get into that? (laughs) And also that, can you notice where that is? What is affected by that? It's not myself, it's my chitta is affected by that. So it's just a, not just a linguistic thing, but a sense of, that's how I know what it is. <laughs> that's, the, that's how you know what it is. It's that which is affected by these. Oh, that, that. Right? Knowingness, the knowing of that. And then we might, if we are able to get that sense of disengagement from the objects, the topics, even the, the sankara as, as energies, as they're welling up, and both the, allow, you know, the recognition they arise and pass, and there can be a, and you, you know, once you get that established, an impermanence of these things, then what is it that knows that? Where's that? And it just resets one's perspectives. Because that which is aware of its own, of his aversion currents, is also that which realized can be released and liberated. If you don't know where it is, you're going to be <laughs> getting confused. It's not a matter of thought. Or any state. But then we look at states next, or boundaries, you might say, whether the jitta feels contracted, tight, restricted, often through fear, or, uh, you know, seeking security, holding on, tightening up, contracted or defensive. And these are all, we might say, security energies. Contract around something that feels solid. And I've got it, I feel I'm safe, I'm okay. Right, this is it, it contracts. Or breaks up, scattered. Mm. You know, it proliferates, mental proliferation. Jitta scatters into, I should be this, I could be that. Why am I this, will I be that, what comes next, am I doing the right thing? It's, all these thoughts ride on top of the scattered chitta. So when the chitta is scattered, rather than going into the details of the scattering, which is doubt, should I be this, should I be that? How will I practice after this? Will I be this, which is the right way? This is doubt, this is the scattered. What is it, the scattered? Finger, okay. So you began to get some reference to that which is fragmented and knowing it, aware of it, jnana, jnana, which is uh, uh, one of these uh, many words there are in, in the Pali language to describe degrees of awareness, knowing, wisdom, discernment, it gets quite complex. But jnana 
is different from thinking or conceiving. It's a direct insight. You could say gnosis, a realization quality. One realizes, dawns. Ah, oh, this is this. And the, but the uh, the beauty of that is that once that jnana quality arises, it's like it's as if the jitta comes out of gear, out of the out of its distracted state or out of its constricted state into a oh, it's like, like it disengages, but it's not closed down. It's not ignorant. It's not run somewhere else. It's just disengaged from activation. Disengaged from passion, one is no longer so disturbed, freaked out by it all. This dimension then of disengagement, dispassion, can be sensed. Very difficult to put a finger on it as a, as a point. It's not a point, it's almost like an atmosphere. a significant atmosphere. There's a subtle substance to that, though I use the word substance or essence very cautiously, but it's not like nothing. (laughs) There's a particular chitta coolness, steadiness that can be sensed with dispassion, disengagement. It's a relief. It's like the pleasure when you take a weight off your back. It's the pleasure of not owning, (laughs) non-grasping. So this definitely, this quality does allow the chitta to come out of its jangled state or its tight state and it's supportive for these beautiful qualities of <coughs> the Mahak, the great chitta. It's loving, it's serene, it's equanimous, it can handle stuff without getting knocked around by it to be equanimous in the face of adversity or death. Because it's beginning to touch into its own substance rather than its form, when it's a contracted form or a scattered form, or the behaviors that run through it, such as greed, fascination, irritation, it's not just detecting those, it's detecting mm, its itself, you could say. Mm. And this allows the jitta to, to rise. Mm. Rather like, you know, if you have a, a an inflatable ball and you 
put it in the sea, and maybe you put some rocks on top of it, or you put, wrap it up in chains, it sinks down, it sits on the bottom, and, it, and it's squashed in, you know, and you begin to take the chains off, the weights off, and the jit starts to lift up. Not because somebody's throwing it up, <laughs> just because it's unchained, <laughs> and its nature is then to 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 rise, to to uh, to come to a state of buoyancy, which is actually innate, but lost. Mm. Burdened, when the burden is called of thought, the jitta rises. Uh, find that the interest is not in, you know, not really interested in accumulating things or taking up status or um, you know it's turned away from that it's not, not it's had enough of that As these things become burdensome so what the world craves the properly cultivated jitta just is not interested in them in what the world in general craves and values is just just a burden, weight, you know, impairing the jitter from realizing itself. So it rises. And we use these terms in the Brahvihara recitations exalted, abundant not petty, you know, it's something that's got a grandeur to it. So it's essentially doesn't carry rancor or bitterness, hankering, opinionatedness, it's just above all that stuff. Because it's starting to realize its own natural buoyancy, brightness. That's a subtle substance or essence. A property, the Buddha referred to this as a dhatu, these qualities as elements. They're not elements in a material sense, but they're something can be discerned in that. When the mind has entered samadhi, or not entered samadhi, we can recognize when it's uh, the qualities of that mind substance are even, uncontracted, suffusive. It's not inflamed, it's not dull, it's not closed, it's not spaced out, it's not flaring with some kind of mystical energies, it's just evenly spread. Um, and just to recognize that the, you know, the chitta can enter these sort of paranormal conditions in meditation or in spiritual practices, you can get to heightened energies, visions, um, um, you know, overheating, overcooking. And if these are attached to, then we get very deluded. 
by that, thinking we are something or some special state or I've got the, you know, the blazing lights are coming, therefore I'm bodhisattva or something like that. You know, I must have end a stream entry because the blazing lights are happening. You know, it just means, you know, take an aspirin and go for a walk and lie down. <laughs> well, because these qualities are actually the distortions, vipalasas, vipalasas, called the term. So it's a known known phenomenon called vipalasa, sanya vipalasa. You get some paranormal experience. Energies are strong. They're taking shapes and forms, and the mind is fascinated by it. So. Say so, no, no. Essentially, samadhi is much more peaceful than that. It just means there's none of this flaring up, or um, it's just steady. Uh, so you want to know that because it's certainly possible when we are cultivating. For these are not decisions; these are reflexes. That something just starts to shake loose. The energetic system starts to overheat, um, and you don't want to follow it. So knowing this is not <laughs> samadhi, this is something, this is vipalasa, is, is important. Because this can happen for very good people, you know, they're not bad people, it just stuff starts to cook up, energy starts to get too intense. You know, to keep that sense of constantly soothing, easing and, and spreading the mind, the chitta, and steadying it and gladdening it, in a comforting way, gladdening and steadying. Mm. Noticing, of course, these these periods of samadhi can come or go or not appear, and they can be identified with, I'm a person who never has samadhi, I'm a samadhi dummy, or a samadhi apprentice, or a samadhi whiz kid, or forget about samadhi altogether, just the idea just sends me neurotic, I don't want to hear about it, just do insight instead. You know, just, wow. Like, you know, is your jitta steady or not? Uh, That's what you need to know. And steady, not upon an object, that's the point with samadhi, it's not on some object. Although objects can support it, Samadhi is when the heart is centered on itself. <laughs> I don't mean obsessively self-centered, I mean it is like it's, it's collected. So in a way, that process of sensing the subtle substance of the citta becomes such that the citta can begin to turn towards that and, and settle into that. So there's a, it's almost like, you know, Feeding on different food, feeding on jitter itself, which naturally is a recycling and regenerating experience. Mm. And this can, we can have those periods when that occurs and then conditions change and that doesn't occur and then we'll start to identify with this or that or the other. And because the basic thing in all this is just the knowingness of that. One knows that, and then 
that's something you don't have to lose. So in all these refrains of these satipatthana, you see that constantly, time and time again, just doing it adequately, just enough, just that which is necessary for bare knowing, jnana. Because that bare, I mean, non-proliferated, simple, uh, unentangled knowing, that's something that can abide as a reference point. And that cuts off the proliferations and the identifications with these phases that Chitta can go through. This is where wisdom occurs. Wisdom is based on, arises with this jnana. Awareness of awareness, awareness of knowing, knowing as a as a property. And because it's non-sensorial, how do you detect it? You can't really detect it as an object. Um, rather like once again refer to the sense of balance in the body, what you know is that that which can be detected is even. You're not tilting to the left or the right, forward or back, there's no strain. Everything is settled around a quality of balance which you can't exactly place. You might call it the centre, but you couldn't get there with any measuring instruments. It's a centre of bodily intelligence. Here's the balance. It doesn't have a sensation. Quiet. It's supportive of a, of a steady energy, but it's not even an energy. As such, it's a, it's a no. <laughs> it's like an absence where there's no pressure. But that quality allows everything else to just come into harmony. We're not getting into this or that. We're not leaning this way or that way. We're not fascinated by this or that. It just enables the wholeness to come into harmony. And using this as an analogy for what can happen in citta with this quality of jnana, it doesn't mean I can be aware of, you know, my greed, hatred and delusion just keep going. No. <laughs> with some idea of, yes, I'm knowing this. Well... Mm, check it out, is that delusion? <laughs> uh, because if, if the jnana property is there, then there isn't that imbalance that throws the chitra into greed, hatred and delusion. You know, we're not seeing greed, hatred and delusion as essentially innate chitta qualities. These are inducted into it through its wrong direction through feeding on the wrong foods, through misinformation, through conditioning, when there's balance, the chitta doesn't go into those. And so those qualities, even the residual tendencies, don't take hold. 
Just like if your body is, is in balance, you, then if you're carrying weight on your right side, then you know, the likelihood is you won't be in balance. But you'll know I'm in balance to the right, so why don't I release the right? Oh, then your balance is established. So you can't have a balanced perspective on imbalance. <laughs> Farms know there is imbalance. It doesn't need to be this way. What needs to be relinquished? What needs to be given attention to? What needs to be remembered? This will pass. This is not self. This is an unsatisfactoriness that can be allayed, disbanded. These are the suggestions. These are the wise suggestions. And we start to check it out. Something stopping me from letting go of that uh, fixation. Vipalasa, distortion. Something in me, some quality, one in me, in my chitta, still has a sense this fixation will lead to my welfare, will make me stronger, will make me more admired, will make me right. This fixation will take me there. This is vipalasa. We see the unsatisfactory as satisfactory. Or this is really who I am. I need to follow this because this is my true nature. This fixation, this obsession, that's my character. We take that which is not self to be self. Or we take something to be lasting and permanent that isn't so. Or we don't, but there's that, that's the nature of fixation. It, uh, and, you know, non-delusion, just noticing how, what it's like when those vipalasas, those distortions are present, and you're angled, and you're driven, and you're moored, and you're tethered, and you can't do without, and you've got to be, and you're frightened that other people might think you are, or you're not, if you don't. <laughs> they might not because of what other people think or say. So you're tethered, bound, biased, tilted, no longer in balance. And some things to say, this state of imbalance is just dukkha and doesn't bring out the best in me, doesn't bring out the exalted, doesn't bring out the great chitta, doesn't allow it to be great. It could be... <laughs> It could be. And how does that release from that fixation, that resistance, that fear, that anxiety occur? Probably, first of all, by recognizing it's, it's not permanent, by recognizing it's unsatisfy- unsatisfying, you've got to keep doing it and having it. It's ignoble, it's dragging you down. And it's actually not truly yourself. It's something that's grown there. Oh, and you could be, there could be that release. So this encourages us to penetrate and inquire into our habits, 
not just their own sense data, but our habitual creation of ourself. Our habitual, the one thing we are addicted to above all is myself. Everything else, it just supports that, whether I'm addicted to bananas or Mozart or anything in between, you know. The main thing one's addicted to is being me, with a feeling of, with its particular form, profile, sadness, feeling stuck, misunderstood, whatever. Wow, this is dukkha. (laughs) And it doesn't have to be that way. So it's encouraging to come to terms with those deeply established fixations with some compassion. With some compassion, because why are they there? Through not knowing, through non, not really realizing the quality of chitta. In other words, not realizing your, your inheritance not realizing the treasury yeah. or through being inducted into it either through one's own volition or through the volition of others we get inducted into this is where you should be this is where you are you never will be you're always like that you're too much this you're not enough of that yeah. you shouldn't be this way you should be that way you get inducted into it it's compression constriction Distraction, scattered. And, you know, that becomes established. Mm-hmm. So, where do we start to get a handle on this? When the jitter is so chained, so tethered, so bound up with its an identity in that, and so fearful of losing that identity. You know, a strange reflex, like, difficult to let go difficult to let go it's like you can't get in the water until you float but you don't float until you get in the water so what's going to happen you stand on the edge of the swimming pool going well maybe but maybe it doesn't uh, all I can see is the hard bottom of the swimming pool I don't think there's any water there (laughs) if I jump in the thing I'm going to hit the concrete you don't know so you just stick a finger in, let a hand get in there, and oh, that floats, look at that, there's an arm, oh, that floats. Then you see other people doing it, they're floating, and then maybe one leg off, and then chest, and then, oh, you float. So you take it a little bit at a time. And where do you find, where do you begin with that? Well, you begin in your body, saying, well, whatever else, I know that I can you know, receive this body without contracting, without shame, without guilt, without fear, without compulsion. It can be how it is. It likes that. And you begin with, you know, sense restraint. I don't need to be pulled out into this, that and the other. I can feel that pull and acknowledge that pull Recognize I followed that pull, pull a thousand times. It never took me anywhere that good. Just relinquish the pull. Oh, and there's that rocky moment, and then, yeah, it's okay. 
So you start like this, don't you? And then I can be with an unpleasant emotion, nasty, unpleasant emotion, fearful, irritable, grumpy. I can be with it. And I can stop hating it and, and contracting around it and blaming it and blaming myself. I can stop that. I can be with a not very good state of mind without going into all kinds of, you know, fragmentation and distraction around it. And and feel it in my body, relaxing in the body, opening the body, breathing through it. I can do that. There can be a, a floating. That's so as if you're floating away or rising up from those tethers and chains, rising up from the bottom, released to this extent. And any degree of this is called liberation. So when we see a word like liberated and unliberated, we may think this means, you know, really way out there, Nibbana. Um, yeah, but it's much broader than that. It means any moment where your mind is not afflicted by hate, that's called a mind uh, uh, liberated from hate. <laughs> so every time we generate quality of loving-kindness and dwell in it, the mind is liberated from aversion. What's it like? It's not just I don't, you know, I'm not averse to others, but I feel no one is averse to me. I have no guilt, no anxiety. I don't live in a place of mistrust. What's that like? People will not blame me. I will not be seen as weird, ostracized, pointed at. What's that feel like? I'm liberated from hostility and the, and the inference of hostility and the attitude of hostility. You know, like it hasn't happened yet, but once they find out the truth about me, then it will come big time. <laughs> It's quite woven in. But then if you contemplate this in the metta quality, you get to the point when you're lingering that, well, maybe people do dislike me. Maybe they do blame me. Maybe that's their problem and not mine. Checking, looking, I live honestly, I live harmlessly, I don't harm creatures, I talk straight, people may blame me, criticize me, but I'm not taking on the fear and anxiety. And to this degree, we are liberated. And any degree of liberation touches you into the lightness the floating, the spaciousness, um, that is our possibility, and from which only good behavior can follow. Whatever we do from that place has to be, will always be, that which is not perverted, distorted, polluted, tangled. 
So this is definitely, you know, any degree of this is for one's own welfare and for the welfare of others. Mm. And you're touching into the truth of jitta. So let's take some time, uh, dwell on any of these um, reflections that have been useful for you. It's just my way of seeing things. The Buddha is the teacher. I'm just hoping to be able to, you know, tease out some of these cryptic ancient teachings. I'm not the one and only way, which all must believe in me. <laughs> Because I am right, (laughs) unwaveringly right.